0: This is crazy. This is crazy. Hello and welcome to the 14th episode of IOT Make, a podcast channel where we talk to industrial IOT leaders from all over the world and learn from them about products, platforms, business models and innovations in Industry 4.0. Our leaders come from various backgrounds, ranging from startups to large organizations who are driving innovation in industrial IoT. If you have questions or suggestions, you can write to me at iiotmake at gmail.com. And if you do not want to miss any of the episodes, do subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes or going to the website iiotmake.com. All right, so today I'm thrilled to have with me uh, Ramya Ravichandar. Uh, She's the Vice President of Product Management at Foghorn, a leading provider of edge intelligence software, which has been in the news for some time for being a front runner in building cutting edge, edge products. So let's welcome Ramya. Hi Ramya, welcome to IOT Make Podcast. How are you doing today?
1: Hi Ravi. Thank you for having me on. I am very well, thank you.
0: The the privilege is mine to have you and I'm very thrilled to uh, talk to you since you lead product management function at Foghorn. So the way I um, thought of um, managing this conversation is we'll divide this conversation into two segments. In the first segment, um, I would like to know from you on the product management function in IoT. And I've never spoken to any uh, product leader uh, who manages IoT products, so that is quite interesting and in the second segment uh, we will talk about uh, edge intelligence and your product portfolio that your company offers all right so let's begin um, so i gave a brief introduction of yours but uh, if you could help us learn uh, tell us your career trajectory and how has the journey been all this while that will be a great way to start
1: great um So a little bit about my background here. Uh, So I got a PhD in computer science a couple of years ago um, in software engineering. And uh, right after my grad school, I joined Cisco as part of their advisory uh, engineering team. Uh, At that point, Cisco was transitioning to a software company, and there was a lot of emphasis on how to inculcate best practices across the board uh, as, you know, teams were beginning to get into software development. Um, And because a lot of my doctoral thesis was around uh, how do you really build change-tolerant systems and large complex systems with uh, quality embedded in it, uh, it was was really a, a nice fit for my next step. Uh, so a lot, a lot of my work in Cisco has been around, you know, software engineering practices. And as I dug deeper and deeper into it, I realized that, you know, there were, you know, two other pillars that needed attention if we were really to enhance uh, systemic um, alignment and optimization across the board. And that was people and process. Um, so that's when I transitioned into leading the agile. Um, Best practices for all of Cisco engineering. And it, it's been a really interesting um, part of my career because uh, I also co founded the Agile Industry Alliance. And this is a forum for enterprises who are over 5,000 employees strong wow. to come together and start sharing best practices on how do you build software. Um, so it's uh, So my career has really been more of a jungle gym, right? Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's a concept popularized by Sheryl Sandberg in her book, Lean In. And so, uh, you know, along with doing the Agile Industrial Ends, uh, you know, I worked with a lot of uh, people and process aspects of software development. But after a couple of years, I was itching back to, uh, you know, get back to hardcore technology. And so that's where I transitioned into product management, uh, first with uh, the collaboration group at Cisco, and then um, I had headed the streaming analytics group uh, in IoT. So uh, since then, I would like to say I've been bitten by this uh, this bug for industrial IoT, uh, specifically streaming analytics as it applies to IoT. It's a very niche area, but uh, uh, it's still going strong because now I'm here at Fogon uh, doing exactly the same thing six years later.
0: Excellent. So all this career uh, journey has been a conscious choice of navigating you towards this direction, I suppose. Right? I mean, usually career happens to a lot of people, and um, would, would that be fair to say on your part?
1: Yes, I've um, I've always I have I've always asked myself the question: um, if not every day, at least every other week, if I'm still excited about what I do. Uh, and uh, when I find that I'm I'm not as passionate anymore. Then that that signals that you know I should be looking out for something else that that's more stimulating, and that that's a reason why I I keep shifting um, you know positions and roles. And I'm a little uh, I'm a little glad that I'm still very excited about product management in the IoT space. So I'm hoping that'll that'll keep going for a while because IoT is so nascent; it's uh, it's gonna it's gonna stay around for the next couple of decades.
0: Excellent. So that uh, is a good uh, transition to my second question, which is, uh, you, you mentioned about how you're excited about IOT products. And uh, since you began product management, not in IOT products. So I would uh, like to understand the difference uh, in managing IOT products and uh, regular software products. So how is product management different for both of them?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question, right? Um, So if we step back and, you know, let's trying to define what an IOT product is, right? Is it, is it ingestion software? Um, Is it an intelligent gateway? Um, Is it a vertical solution? You know, that's addressing a specific niche market. Uh, Is it just analytics software? So I don't think there's a single avatar for an IOT product today, right? The landscape is, is still emerging. It's still, still evolving as we speak. And so, um, I think product management for your typical enterprise product is is your well-oiled machine, right? Your you have defined releases. You know exactly what the roadmap is. You know when feature X is going to make into what release. Um, it's it's a it's a very structured framework that you just have to execute on, and that's very different in the IoT world because. Here you're you're just working with so many moving parts, right? You're understanding the dynamics of the market, and you have to be adaptive to morph your offerings um, based on you know where um, your user base is heading or where the solutions are are asking you to go to. So, in some ways, I think I've come a full circle um, because um, back in my grad school, I was actually very fascinated with the complex software systems. Uh, and you know how can you actually design them so they are tolerant to change? And uh, I think this whole science of complexity now is back and applicable to IoT product management because it's it's no longer structured; it's it's freeform. Uh, given that everything is so greenfield, and so I think the 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 most key feature is for someone to stay uh, stay aware of what's going on in the market and be adaptive. Uh, you, you shouldn't be afraid to change your product. Uh, just because IoT is so nascent and still emerging.
0: Got it. Excellent. So you led the creation of uh, a new IoT product access core. That's what I learned from your LinkedIn profile. Um, and it was the world's first edge manufacturing analytics offer. Um, so I would like to understand from the beginning, help us understand the process of coming up with such a product, uh, edge manufacturing and analytics. What, ha- what had been your experience there?
1: yeah when i um when I first joined this group, it was a streaming analytics group at Cisco, and it was actually an acquisition that Cisco had made. Um, it was very, very strong technology. I think it was one of the earliest pioneers of uh, streaming analytics. Um, and so while the technology was available, the application uh, was still being determined, right? Uh, people weren't really sure how to use that technology right away in the uh, ioT market. And we were exploring what the application could be in manufacturing or oil and gas, and and I'm talking about a time period which is you know back in 2013, which is you know uh, five six years ago, where the where the user base is still kind of coming off this whole digitization wave, right? And I, I always like to think big data did us a big favor in terms of paving the road for all of the industries to kind of wake up and uh, listen to the the tolls of uh, digitization, right? right? And so. Uh, with uh, with getting into this new team at Cisco, uh, the challenge was to come up with the first feasible application that we could go to market with. Um, and I like to think of product creation as really a, a three-step process. It's iterative, right? There's no uh, hard sequence to it. But for any new pro- product creation, you, you have to nail on three things. One is... Uh, what is the ROI, right? Uh, when you think about bringing maybe a specific solution to uh, manufacturing, uh, you will have to understand, is this is this of value to the customer to begin with, right? Sometimes you could have the world's best technology that solves uh, a very niche problem, but really is of not high value to the customer. So uh, understanding the ROI is key. And then, uh, in in understanding that ROI, you also start getting a sense of can the solution scale, right? ROI is not just value, but it's also scalability. Um, at the end of the day, you do want to make money of your products, so scalability is a is a big uh, checkbox to go through. And then the second part of it is understanding who's your user, right? It's not not the buyer, but the one who actually operates your product. And I think in industrial IoT, um, that takes on a whole uh, different slant, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, your your the person who purchases the software could be the uh, line of business owner. Uh, it could be you know uh, your senior level manager uh, who t- signs the check. But your user is possibly the operator out uh, in in a refinery, right? Uh, it could be Joe uh, in manufacturing in Kentucky right so it's really really important to understand who your user is and i think the last part is understanding what is your go to market right what is your packaging what is the pricing are you bundling this and again iot is this this mishmash of so many different things it's hardware it's software it's uh, it's you know it's the plumbing it's just you know, sometimes it's just a, a cloud service. So how do you package this? Uh, and if you're going towards manufacturing, is it just a manufacturing solution or is it bundled on a gateway? So I think understanding what the ROI is, who is your user, and then what is your go-to-market strategy, I think are key pieces of the puzzle before you can go ahead and start defining that product.
0: Got it. And uh, so was that product a conceptualized uh, from scratch, uh, you said you acquired that, right? So, um, but so it, we,
1: uh, yeah. we acquired the technology, right? Cisco yeah. acquired the technology and yeah. uh, uh, we had to productize it uh, to come up with the right application in the industrial vertical. And in this case, it happened to be manufacturing.
0: Got it. Got it. Excellent. So help us uh, take uh, through your journey with uh, Foghorn in, in the last three years. Um, how did that uh, happen and uh, did you always know Foghorn would be uh, as exciting? Because I, I mean, it's, it's all over the press and we hear about Foghorn being the uh, trendsetter on edge uh, technologies. So uh, help, help us understand your decision to join Foghorn and how has your journey been in the last three years?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think we all are very humbled by um, how much uh, uh, traction we've gotten in the market. Um, you know, by by the awards and the accolades and the recognition that Fogon has uh, garnered over the last couple of years. Um, so while I was really enjoying my work at Cisco, I think. Um, I I actually wanted to join a startup, um, but exactly in the same space, right? It was a very niche area of applying streaming analytics to industrial IoT. And Fogon um, was, I think, was two years old when I joined it. And we were about 25 employees strong. So uh, I'm really proud to say that we've almost, I think, quadrupled uh, since that time and uh, again i've always been fascinated by how far ahead our technology is in this space i almost think it's light years ahead but it's exciting as a product person for me because it's now my job to bridge the the gap between the technology and the possibilities of that technology and its application, so helping the market understand it, you know, nurturing it, so users can see the value. And I and and my work at fogman has been, you know, all over the map, right? In in terms of is it product positioning or marketing or briefing analysts, uh, it's uh, it's it's really been a this wonderful mix of so many different aspects of just presenting the value of the product at the end of the day. Um, so. Well, when uh, I think when I joined, Fogon was a very strong analytics player at the edge, uh, but we've moved towards machine learning. Uh, you know, we did a major release last year that talked about edge ML, and now this year we're looking at doing edge AI, and we're already doing deep learning on really small footprints. So it's uh, it's really been fulfilling um, to see this journey unfold uh, from back when I joined.
0: Uh, so you joined, were you the first product manager who joined and then you uh, uh, climbed up the stack or uh, the product team was already there and you led them, you joined as leading them?
1: No, no, I was the first product hire for uh, Foghorn. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's been a bit of a birthing process to build it out. Right, yeah. Um, but uh, yes, I was uh, I was one of the very first product people and then we're growing, engineering's been hiring. So uh, we've been scaling up. In fact, we recently just moved offices because we were expanding so fast. Uh, we, we had to find a bigger location to accommodate all of our employees. So um, it's Excellent. it's been goodness.
0: So, so you're 100 people now, right? Close to, yes. And uh, how, how many product managers, so to say?
1: Yeah, so that's... Uh, we run a very lean organization. Um, And uh, one of the things we're very, very careful about as we build this product out is uh, we only develop features that we think either help us, you know, drive innovation in terms of being extremely competitive with other startups or established players uh, or help us, you know, augment our base product capabilities. So, uh, our product team is actually very small. Okay. Uh, we're we're about you know five person strong, mm-hmm. and uh, we have product managers and we have you know doc writers and you know UX uh, designers as part of the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we scale out because uh, as much as I espouse the agile methodologies, I find that in a startup uh, you lose. Titles very quickly yeah. right it, it right. it's all about trying to figure out who does what best and you jump in roll up your sleeves and start delivering so to that end I am actually um, very proud of our engineering team because a lot of time um, they do uh, moonlight as product managers because nice. uh, it's it's a scale issue and sometimes you know engineers, uh, tend to be really good product managers. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, if, if there's an engineering, uh, uh, you know, person out here listening to this podcast, uh, I would I would actually ask them to ask themselves the question, right? Uh, if just thinking holistically about the product is exciting, and if you know they're really empathetic with users and they find themselves articulating more about the value of the product, and that's something that's exciting to them, then product management might be a good career path
0: excellent um my my next question is um on a a product management uh, lead or a head product manager uh, how do you collaborate with say a technical lead okay or say maybe the cto or head of uh, engineering or something like that um and do how do you reconcile differences and how do you um um differences in, in terms of product strategy because there's a very thin line on who can take decisions um on what a product strategy uh, should be and uh especially in a startup where the roles can actually uh devolve into i mean there are no strict lines dividing these roles um and this is something that i've learned uh, i've been struggling in with my experience as well so how do you how what are your best practices um in in taking up such decisions
1: yeah i think um, strategy is driven by the overall mission right i think every company has uh, a mission statement uh, that really underpins every decision that you make and um with Fogon, our mission is to be able to empower industries to achieve transformational outcomes uh, through real-time intelligence, right? I mean, that's that's our overarching mission. Uh, so as it as it trickles down in terms of specifically the product strategy, uh, I think it's informed by you know three dimensions. One is customer satisfaction, right? And again, this is our user base is so diverse, but it's up to us to figure out if we are building the right product right again our technology is phenomenal but if the if the customer or the user does not understand the value of that product then it's uh, it's all for naught right so customer satisfaction is is the number one driver for how we define our product strategy the second dimension is uh, the external market right it is competition and we are a startup and we're not uh, kidding ourselves when we say that there are so many startups in this place right uh, i i think the last count i heard someone say was there were 2300 startups just in industrial iot i mean right. just an iot yeah. so uh, being aware of the competition and really defining um you know what innovation means for us to stay ahead you know just stay ahead at the uh, cutting edge is is another very very critical dimension and the third part, right, is the startup. So we have to think about revenue, right? What can we drive through product through, or to accelerate uh, revenue? So I think these are the three dimensions at least um, I look at when, um, you know, coming up with the product strategy. And back to your other question of how do you actually interact with the other department heads or the C-level suite right. in terms of, you know, Articulating that strategy and reconcil- reconciling any differences, uh, I really think it's a, it's an iterative process. Right? As as a product head, um, I have a certain view of the market, um, but you know a, a CTO might have a very different view, and the CEO might want to bring in something uh, much more different into the strategy. So it's really an iterative process. Uh, and uh, uh, at foghorn uh, we're very very inclusive and there's always room for debate and discussion but uh, when we agree on a strategy we usually march to the beat and get to execution uh, I think as all all startups do
0: <laughs> so what would be your advice to um, to build influence as a head of product um, to be able to uh, shape strategy and uh, be at par with the uh, the head of uh, departments in other organizations because this is something that many product managers uh, face in their careers on how, how do they build influence and how do they build um, uh, competence and, uh, and, and then have a voice on uh, making, be more confident in making sure that their product decisions are actually driving the needle uh, for the organization in the right direction.
1: I would say... You have to be data driven, right? Um, there has to be authenticity to the decisions that you want to make. Um, An argument is as strong as the the proof of the evidence that you provide, right? And so, you know, in my in my role, I've actually walked the floors um, of manufacturing. You know, I've you know stood next to a CNC machine, trying to understand what the pain points of the user are, right? Uh, so the the ability for a product manager to articulate um, not just what they think the product should be, but why, why is it important that the product should go down that direction is, uh, I think is really important, right? Uh, So being, being data driven is huge. Uh, Again, data doesn't just have to be numbers, right? And numbers can be rare to come by in a very new market, Um, but having some, uh, anecdotal evidence, whether it is you know field trips out to customer sites, uh, your uh, understanding of the domain that you're working in, uh, and the ability to back that up with uh, strong proof points, I think is key to establishing that influence. So uh, I would say go with uh, quantitative and qualitative data and uh, less with intuition. Intuition is important, but it's not as compelling as uh, hard facts
0: got it got it and it, it becomes all the more important when uh, you are the only uh, woman in the executive team uh, and i'm 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 actually moving on to the next uh, question that i have and that is about how does uh, how does it feel to be a woman a pm leader in your field and this is a question that has uh, um been of interest to a lot of my listeners because a lot of my listeners are women uh, who are in product management so i would like to know from somebody who has been there done that and uh, risen to the tops
1: yeah yeah definitely um most days i don't remember that this is in fact you know statistically significant <laughs> which is good news because uh it's very telling about the inclusivity of uh, foggon's culture right um, and i think what's even better now is more and more women are considering product management as a viable career path and you know they're not just mba grads right uh, these these are engineers who've been in the trenches they understand the product and they are ux designers so there there are a lot of uh, women out there with a natural leaning for product management and I think it's really uh, exciting to have diversity um, in the product team this way because, when with with different alternate points of view and experiences, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's the product that wins, right? You create a more uh, generous product, and what I mean by that is, you know, products that. That really put the user front and center, right? You have so many different schools of thought around how to make a product more accommodating, and this is whether it's design thinking or um, you know considerate software or you know positive design. There are a lot of different uh, schools that push the user front and center, and I think having a very diverse team promotes that even more. So. Um, I, I am again. Uh, I don't think about it a lot in terms of my gender, uh, but when I do, I definitely uh, encourage more and more women to think about product management uh, as a as a viable career path because it's a uh, it is it is an exciting option. Uh, and when you step back and you ask yourself the question about uh, about the product, uh, about your empathy uh, quotient, you know, is it is it high? Is it how much do you care about the users? I mean, they're all women. Fundamentally, are considered to be very empathetic, and sometimes product management needs a lot more empathy yes. um, than the other roles. So, um, that, which is why I encourage women to consider this.
0: That that was a great answer. Yes, uh, customer empathy is is the one of the most important trait for PMs. All right. So, my next question is on uh, on how and where do you spend your energies. Um, be to be influential in your role right so as a product management head uh, for an industry leader uh, you are always under that uh, pressure to push uh, your innovation especially now in a, in a competitive space like this um, how do you ensure that you stay on top of the wave how do you uh, where do you invest in your learning where do you get your uh, uh, inspiration uh, to to get the next um, most important uh, feature list on your roadmap. Uh, So I I would like to know how do you plan your week or month or uh, quarter?
1: Yeah, you know, I I really think about it in terms of two activities, right? Um, One is listen, the other one is to read. Right, um, as abstract as that sounds, because the industrial IoT space is so complex, right? And Fogon is a is a platform, which means it can be used across many, many different verticals, right? Manufacturing, oil and gas, mining, utilities, smart buildings, fleet, transportation, right? You name it, and we are applicable in any industrial vertical. So it's a it's a little bit dizzying to keep on. Uh, top of every news item that comes out and so my best bet uh, and this is uh, worked pretty decently is to be uh, aware and listen to the experts and the users and absorb their insights because it's just impossible to be uh, you know well-versed in every domain right, right? I mean it's just going to take decades and probably more and when I say read, right, it's listening to the users and the experts, but also read. It's not just reading, you know, news or reports related to IoT or the technology, but also completely unrelated topics. And um, you know, this is where you start getting new ideas because your subconscious is probably processing what you already learned, and you know, you're you're connecting the dots between. What seems like unrelated pieces of information, and you get that wow idea at some point. So, for example, right now I actually just started reading a book called *The Hidden America*. It's um, it's a story about you know uh, about folks who who do these jobs that people don't usually think about, like coal miners or cowboys or the person working in the Alaskan oil rig. And and when you read those stories, right, you're not just thinking about uh, what's the technology that can improve the process or, um, you know, bring in more efficiencies into their operations? But you're actually thinking about the person out there, right? Uh, you're actually thinking about a coal miner and well, what, what is it, what is their life? And, you know, what, what are the problems of an oil rig worker uh, in the cold of Alaska? So it, it's just that insight, um that it's just an example to talk about how just going outside the realm of the technology space or the, the specific niche IoT area that you're in um, can help start getting you new, newer and newer ideas.
0: Right. Uh, my, my clarifying question to that is, um, how do you ensure uh, that you you separate the signal from the noise especially uh, when you try to read a lot and I I, am saying this from my own experience. So I have my personal mission to be a thought leader, say, in in the next uh, uh, couple of years. And for that to happen, I should be updated with everything that is happening in this domain. But I sometimes am overwhelmed with all the articles and journals and, uh, uh, and press and everything that uh, that bombards me almost every day as, as newsletters I've subscribed to, it becomes difficult for me to uh, separate the signal uh, from the noise. What are what are some of your ways to optimize this information overload at your end?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, um, and I like to use two strategies uh, for that and they're slightly unrelated but one is this concept of uh flow right and what that means is you know i usually what i do is you know i i take a day uh in the week and i say okay this day is just going to be about you know road mapping right that's all i want to do and maybe that's the 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 overarching theme for that day and so it's it's doing everything that's related to either feeding into the roadmap or just analyzing the existing roadmap or having to pick up pieces that um, you know add to the roadmap, whether it's reading or talking or listening or uh, you know polishing up um, what I already have. And and the idea of flow is is really important to me because it it kind of defines this mental boundary, right? It's this this it, it boxes the. Um, the amount of work that I can get done in the day. And so so if one day is roadmap, maybe the next day is just, you know, the the, uh, the grunt work of product management, which is just doing, you know, let's say Jira management or requirements management, right? Maybe I'm looking at the bug backlog and that's all I want to do. So having, you know, a, a, an almost a theme for each day in the week has been helpful for me to get out of the, the clutter of, uh, having to catch up with so many different things that's going on. The second strategy, uh, which adds to that, is is being time boxed. Right? You can read continuously for hours and hours and hours, and still find that you don't think you've actually gotten anything of value, and that's okay. But I think time box is really key. Right? Um, there are so many techniques out there. There's the the Pomodoro technique that says you know just set twenty minute Uh, time increments for the tasks that you want to get done right Uh, and it works well for some people but uh, I I like to put everything in terms of an hour just to understand maybe the news about the latest announcements from a competitor or uh, you know and it it falls within the uber theme of doing competitive analysis for that day but even within that day I time box um, to make sure I have a goal of what i want to do and get out of that activity and hopefully i am able to get most of the signal from the noise
0: <laughs> got it and you you mentioned about uh, blocking chunks of time for uh, road mapping you have themes for the day how do you manage uh, the the demanding uh, uh, meeting schedules on your calendar do you do you just say no to certain days to any meetings and just block uh, longer times time blocks on your calendar how do you manage? I, I know as a head of product management, you would be bombarded with lot of meetings, right? How do you reconcile that, uh, both the things?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question um, because uh, the... Uh, the DNA of a startup is that you're always available, right? Uh, you know, you you have to jump into a meeting, you have a whiteboarding session with engineering, uh, you have to make a decision because of a customer issue. There are always fires um, that come up. And sometimes when it's an escalation, you just drop everything and you go figure it out. Um, but I do have um, the... The prerogative to say no when it's not a fire on an escalation, right? And I think that's another really, really important lesson um, to learn, especially for a, a product person is when to say yes and when to say no, because saying no is as important as agreeing to do something or have something uh, become part of the product. And so that that extends right from, you know, feature, uh, you know, scope creep um, down to managing your time is knowing when to say no. So, yes, there are times when I I just say, you know, if if it's a meeting that I don't think I'm actually going to add value, I actually decline it, right? And if it's a meeting that does not have an agenda, Um, I uh, ask the organizer if I can see the agenda or understand what's the goal of the meeting. I try not to go to meetings that are not well-structured or well-defined because um, in a startup, time is everything and you want to make the best use of the time that you have.
0: Right. Um, I'm tempted to ask one more question, which is about prioritizing. And you mentioned that as a startup, you are always limited with resources, right? So you you have to be very, very... Uh, mindful of what are those few features that are going to drive value right and say no to uh, hundreds of other feature requests uh, maybe coming from customers or internally that would have uh, accumulated on the backlog Uh, what are some of your prioritization uh, frameworks or techniques that you uh, that you bring to practice to ensure that you are working on the most important features that drive value
1: yeah, we actually have a very well-defined framework that uh, we have socialized across the organization about what gets into the product. Um, so it's either ha- it either has to be part of us being competitive uh, in terms of innovation, or it has to be something that the customer needs or needs. And uh, we obviously prefer a paying customer <laughs> who makes this demand. Um, or it's, it's a feature that's going to help us expand into newer markets. If a request uh, falls into one of these categories, then we prioritize it. And of course, even within that list, there is always a stack ranking where the customer requirements get the highest priority. Uh, but we're able to filter through the backlog of thousands and thousands of feature requests that we get um, through this process, and uh, it falls on everybody is very, very user focused. And so, even when they, you know, come up with a, a new feature request or a requirement, uh, they do understand that we prioritize uh, it based on these uh, aspects.
0: Got it. Excellent. Well, uh, this brings us an end to. Th- the segment one, and then I let's move to Edge Intelligence. Um, and you mentioned about uh, how you began your career with streaming analytics, and uh, that's how you moved uh, to Foghorn, um, but I, I would like to start with a very generic question, and which is about uh, how industrial IoT drives the uh, new revenue streams. If you could begin with that, that will set the tone for the rest of my questions here.
1: Sure. Um, you know, back when we started with, uh, you know, IoT, right, I would uh, go to customers and, you know, talk to them about their pain points and their use cases. And uh, you would always hear the ubiquitous phrase predictive maintenance, right? And that's this umbrella term. And somehow it's a magic bullet, right? If you can do predictive <laughs> maintenance on my assets, I think I've done IoT. Um and not to diminish the value of predictive maintenance, um, but I think IoT has always been about driving uh, optimization for processes, um, you know, reducing scrap, improving yields. And this is just the beginning, I think, of uh, a wave of new applications for IoT. Where I think the market is heading to is, when iot can start driving new revenue streams right when x as a service becomes reality and so today most of the customers are still in the journey of discovering how iot can be used internally to you know augment their savings Uh, but down the line uh, i think iot can start driving new revenue streams and i think we we're seeing glimpses of that um in in some of the verticals and i'll give you an example where, uh, you know, some of the work I've done in the past, uh, we actually had uh, this manufacturer add on analytics to their machines, right? And these this is a manufacturer of a big, uh, uh, you know, CNC machine. And they had this uh, predictive maintenance uh, software solution that we built running on that machine. Now, these machines are upwards of a million dollars or so. Now when they sell the machine to their customer, they can also slap on the service of saying you want you know analytics as a service, where the user is going to be you know alerted about a potential machine breakdown before it happens, to the point where the manufacturer can send his uh, service technician out to the customer site you know, get the machine looked at um, and, you know, help tune the machine before any failure happens. And, you know, these are million plus dollar machines. So you you don't have a lot of inventory lying around and any downtime is very expensive. So it, you can start seeing how as a service is going to bring in new revenue streams for for uh, the manufacturers who want to go down that path, right? And the same, I, one of the use cases we're working on um, in uh, Fongon is uh, you know on smart maintenance for elevators. Right, that's another uh, maintenance as a service play where the elevator manufacturer doesn't just provide elevators, but they also talk about uh, what is uh, you know I-, I can schedule smart maintenance as opposed to having a routine checkup for the elevator that's been through let's say eight months of uh, usage but is now required to go through another six month checkup
0: uh, so ramya uh, so driving new revenue streams uh, is is something that uh, sometimes the customers do not know the potential of uh, their iot implementation right so is this something that you also uh, consult or educate your customers on what potential new revenue streams that they could uh, actually uh, add to their business Yes, I
1: think it's, uh, it's really part of the discovery process. Um, you know, a lot of our customers come to us with specific, uh, you know, applications or use cases that they want implemented. But as we go deeper and deeper into discussions, we realize that there's a potential for a lot more to be done um, in terms of either, you know, thinking of new revenue streams, new business models, but it's an ongoing iterative process. I don't think it just happens in the first meeting. Um, the good news is I think a lot of our customers have progressed from uh, just saying predictive maintenance to uh, being very, very, very specific about the applications uh, that they want uh, implemented in their factory or you know refineries out there. So definitely there's been an evolution of the user through the years.
0: Got it. Excellent. Um, all right. So my next question is on... Uh, the role of cloud and edge, uh, in the world of IOT use cases. Um, and since you, your, your entire business model is based on edge, I, I would like you to clarify, uh, and to reconcile the role of cloud and edge in the w- uh, world of IOT. If you can, if you can, uh, spend some time on that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Fongan is an edge intelligence
0: platform
1: and, uh, And that means we're, of course, working with data coming off assets, coming off sensors in real time and providing insights. But what that implies is uh, we're also very complementary to the cloud, right? I mean, there's been a lot of talk in, you know, in the past couple of years about the end of cloud computing right i think there was a piece uh, uh, that came out from peter levine uh who says you no know, edge is going to eat the cloud while you know that definitely uh, garners a lot of attention i think the reality is the edge and the cloud are very very complementary to each other right when you think about the edge um you're thinking about local optimization you're thinking about immediate insights. Right. What, what information can I provide so the operator can make real time decisions uh, to either, you know, maybe stop the assembly line production or, you know, remove that defective product before it goes on to the next stage. So edge is about empowering the user um, on the on the floor to make decisions that have a business impact. But that doesn't diminish the role of the cloud because as we go more and more towards machine learning models, right? As we, as we move towards a world where ML and AI are becoming the norm, you do rely on larger compute for building out those models, right? We're nothing without data. And to build the right model, you need a tremendous amount of data that is available only in the cloud. Right. And so there is this really harmonious relationship between the cloud and the edge because when you start building out models in the cloud, you can deploy them at the edge. The edge runs those models for you, gets you their inferences. But there's always going to be a chance that those models are not going to be accurate forever because you cannot possibly have uh, addressed all possible scenarios. Right. And models are evolving. You're still working to make sure they're accurate. And so the edge will push back the insights to the cloud and the cloud uses that information either to update their models and push back you know, newer models. And so there's this, this really virtuous cycle uh, that goes on between the cloud and the edge. And so in, in, as we go more and more towards sophisticated IoT use cases that uh, employ a lot of ML AI techniques, we'll, we'll see this uh, relation established even more permanently
0: got it the the one uh, difficulty that i have uh, not been able to resolve is uh, when there is an iot platform which has hundreds of installations uh, thousands of installations all across the globe with different customers and all the applications are deployed at the edge uh, it's difficult to implement them right so update them to manage the, the configurations to see uh, to to manage the hardware configurations uh, which otherwise would have been a very easy job to uh, manage everything on the cloud uh, where they are deployed at one place. Um, how do you... So is, is, is that a, a bargain? Is is, is that a, a compromise that one has to make? Or is there a, is there a better solution to uh, for that? I think you just brought up a feature request.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I think that a good IoT product will incorporate the need to manage devices across the board. And this goes back to, I think, the conversation we had earlier about scale, right? Doing doing a, a proof of concept just for you know a couple of edges is is always going to be simplistic and easy because you're just focused on getting the results. But to your point, right, what does it mean to have this actively out in production with thousands of edges? All spitting out data and insights, and having to manage all of these endpoints. Um, I think it's it behooves the product to take care a lot to take care of a lot of these uh, aspects of deployment and real time uh, scalability issues. So we're still in the beginning of this journey and i say that over and over because that's really the the fact on the ground a lot of the customers are transitioning into production uh, deployments and we're seeing that live and uh, you know we're augmenting our platform to address what is really required in these production scenarios and i think you hit it right on the head when you talked about managing endpoints as if they were cloud instances Um, you know in a a couple of years we shouldn't be surprised to see a cloud-like paradigm shift to the edge not just for employing models but also for management and understanding uh, resource assignment and usage
0: and till that happens uh, there will be still a lot of resistance and frictions in adoption right Especially, I mean, um, uh, for for business models of industrial IoT platforms, uh, who who want to service their customers all over the globe, they they would resist uh, going ahead with edge solutions, edge deployments of applications and analytics applications and stuff like that, if they do not if they do not have an existing solution to manage these endpoint devices somehow centrally. Um, so. Yeah. am i right in my observation
1: well i think um i think you're right in observing that uh you know there could be resistance if you don't have the right tools to manage your endpoints um but i would make the argument that it depends on you know what is your level of abstraction right are you talking about just managing the endpoints in um, in one assembly line or is it across many assembly lines within the same plant or is it just a Plant-wide management, because again, the industrial IoT space is a slightly different beast. Um, you know, we've worked with uh, customers who who would prioritize security over having to have this need to view all the edge devices in one location, right? Um, you know, and so. They would rather not have external connectivity, uh, and they, you know, they're very happy to be isolated in terms of just their plant, because that means they're more secure. And so, I think there—it's it, a little bit driven by the vertical as well, right now. If you take uh, fleet, for example, you know, you do want to have that insight into all of your mobile nodes that are out there. So definitely, you need to have some kind of a management capability. Uh, but it's a very different case for oil and gas where, you know, you just you just don't have bandwidth, but it's viable for you to do that kind of management. So it's a little bit of an uh, it depends answer.
0: Right. Um, I, I think it's a trade-off also because uh, increasingly as customers become more educated and aware, uh, they would not be willing to pay the price of cloud processing of all that data, right? So, And then there is not just cost, there is latency, the security as you mentioned. Uh, so all these factors will uh, empower customers to demand more of edge applications. And then uh, the, the IoT uh, providers uh, have to actually uh, heed to these demands. And uh, then make uh, a proactive decision on how how well they can manage all these installations remotely for their edge uh, implementations. Would that would that be a fair um, summary?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I said, listen to your user, <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, as we see more and more of our users, you know, ask for newer capabilities, our uh, our roadmap gets morphed. Got it. Um, to address that, yep.
0: Excellent. So those those were great. Uh, uh, fundamental questions on edge and cloud uh, let's move on to the the last part of of these conversations where i would like to understand foghorn's offerings uh, in, in detail uh, so help us understand what are the core foghorn's edge offerings are um, what are its uh, unique value proposition and how do you stand out uh, amongst competition so that will be great
1: yeah sure so um At the heart of it, Foghan is an edge AI platform for uh, the industrial sectors, right? And what that means is we are able to run on really small compute and provide insights. Now, these insights can come from simple analytics. It can be rules-based. It can be derived from machine learning models. It can be a result of running a deep learning model. So Foghorn is really hardware agnostic, and it works with many, many different cloud vendors. And one of the differentiators of Foghorn is that it is OT centric. So this is operational technology centric, right? We want to bring a, a consumer disruption um, to the industrial sectors where we're looking to a persona who is someone out there working in the utilities sector, right? He he is the user we're going after, right? And so at the heart of it, uh, you know, we are a platform. And so we can be embedded into devices. We can be embedded into gateways. We can, uh, somebody can leverage our platform to build out solutions specific to their vertical. Uh, We have SIs and partners who can um, build out apps for their end user base, So our core value prop is the ability to do machine learning and um, AI at the edge on small footprint.
0: Got it. Let's talk about uh, uh, your architecture as well. Um, I have the architecture in front of me. um, So I I will share that in the show notes for our listeners as well if if they are interested. uh, can we can we sp- spend some time on that so there is this uh, foghorn manager right at the top and then the edge node and then uh, within that edge node you have deployed so your solution is a foghorn edge intelligence which has the analytics uh, enrichment and so if you can guide me through this it will be it will be a great way to end this uh, conversation
1: yeah, definitely. So the um, I think the picture that you're seeing is is really an overview of our you know of our architecture and the system, because the pieces in the deep orange are all IP, right? And that's one of the things we pride on is this is an edge computing platform that has been built purpose built from scratch because we wanted to build a CEP engine that would run in, in very, very, very small compute, right? To give you an example, we actually run a deep learning model uh, on a Raspberry Pi. And this is an oil and gas use case that's out uh, in production. So if you look at the architecture, right, uh, the pieces in the deep orange, which is our CEP engine, the machine learning pieces, and the data enrichment from the core of it. What is the CEP uh, uh, it's a complex event processing Got it. Okay. engine, right? And this is our ability to actually look at multiple data streams, apply advanced analytics and rules on top of those data streams. and that's just the beginning of what the uh, engine can do. Um, if you to think about streaming analytics, uh, you one will have to flip their mental model, right? This is uh, traditionally, when you think about analytics, you're storing the data. You run algorithms and queries on it, and then you get some insights. With streaming analytics, it's slightly different, right? Uh, Here, the data is transient, right? The data keeps coming at you. Think of thousands of sensors spitting out data in sub-second frequency, uh, and you have queries that are constant. They are constantly looking for patterns, and what that means is you can bombard the system with any number of different data streams whether it's video audio uh time series uh, you know temperature pressure whatever is common in the industrial sectors but we're able to amalgamate all of them and provide these new insights in fact our engine drives something called sensor fusion which is another emerging cutting-edge technology trend the ability to fuse data streams of different types so you can take a video data stream and a sensor data stream, put them together and get an Uber site. So all of that is possible with the CP engine and the machine learning um, pieces that you see in the uh, in the center box there. But we also provide certain ingestion um, collectors out of the box, right? Again, because we're so OT centric, you know, right out of the box we support uh, Modbus, OPC UA, MQTT ingestion protocols, uh, and the Foghound Manager that you alluded to earlier. Uh, it, it can be deployed on-prem. We are, we can be deployed completely offline, um, on a factory floor, which which kind of lends itself to the credibility around security by isolation, right? We don't need to have a connectivity to an external network for anything. This entire software can be offline, and so the fog manager is really your, you know, it's your management configuration. Um, a console that helps you view all of your edge nodes, manage your edge endpoints, and then deploy models, update their models, and so on. So uh, we really provide the facility to ingest data, to run complex ML models or uh, advanced analytics on the data streams. Get immediate results, and we're again talking sub second latency. So, low latency applications are, are really, really relevant for this platform, and then be able to manage all of these endpoints through the on Manager.
0: Excellent. Um, and um, just last question that I uh, did not intend to ask you before where do you see uh, the next wave of innovations, or how does where do you see the uh, entire edge computing, um, edge offerings evolving in the next, say, two to three years' time?
1: Yeah, I like to think of um, Fogon as being at the center of, you know, three emerging um, technology segments, right? We're at the center of edge computing, uh, the IIoT paradigm, and then the AI ML wave that's happening, right? It's really at the intersection of the three. And just as ubiquitous as AI will become, right? I mean, we have AI literally um, in almost every part of the world. We don't really realize how much it's embedded in our everyday life with the assistance and our reliance on, um, you know, everything from recommendations uh, to, you know, where to go and when to go to a certain place. I think edge is kind of trending in that direction in that the edge will no longer be a novelty right it'll become a necessity with the amount of instrumentation that we have going on today with this this thirst for data this thirst for insight and being able to monitor and measure every aspect of your you know system whether it's an asset or a process or a uh, you know a, 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 a oil rig uh, we we will start seeing edge become a necessity, And then use cases will get more sophisticated, right? We've moved from just saying predictive maintenance to actually being very specific about business outcomes that the users want to get done. And so I think Edge, um, Edge is heading uh, to a direction where it, it becomes more and more part of your daily lexicon. And it's no longer something that has to be explained, but it's something that's going to be taken for granted.
0: Excellent. Well, this brings us to the end of a fantastic conversation with uh, Ramya. Thanks, Ramya, for your time and sharing with us uh, loads of insights.
1: Thanks, Ravi. It was such a pleasure.
0: great right. you, you bye Thank you.